brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thursday, January 12th. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. I'm Peter Apple. That's Arm Layton. And the first big story that we have to talk about is what happened with Carlos Correa. We're also going to address Trevor Story's injury, as well as talk about a couple of one-year deals. But I want to start with this. This seems fishy to me, Arm. It just seems weird. And I was talking about it in the group chat. I went down a Carlos Correa rabbit hole because I just don't get it. And I want you to either help me put more tinfoil hats on, or I want you to relieve some of my stress because for some reason, I can't figure this one out. You know, we talk about it a lot, but I can't figure this one out. First, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Good to be back with you here. Um, I'll be back in New York with you soon, but uh, just good to be back on the podcast where it feels like we're, we're really in that rhythm again. You know, we were getting through the holidays and everything, but now I feel like we're kind of back in the just baseball show rhythm. Uh, it's been really fun kind of getting back into it. And we got so much on the horizon, man. So I'm just glad, first and foremost, that this Correa shit is over because yes. I don't know if you saw my, my my tweet from, I think it was earlier this week where I was just like, I can't take this anymore. Just, just, just end it because it was like, we're going in freaking circles, man. You know, it just, it was like twins are out. Twins are in Mets are out. Mets are in Mets confident. Mets not confident twins back in. I was just like, let me know when it's all over. I can't do this anymore. And finally it's over and I'm happy he's with the twins. I I want, I want to spread the superstars around. So I'm pumped. I, I agree. It's good for the lower market teams. Now the twins aren't this tiny, small market team, but it's good to see superstars on other teams besides on the coast, right in the middle of America. But so just a quick spark notes, Carlos Correa signs a 13 year deal, 335 million with the San Francisco giants giants. They cancel their press conference and they say, we are having concerns with his medicals and we want to restructure in at the 11th hour, Steve Cohen, or excuse me, Scott Porras says to Steve Cohen, giants have cold feet. Let's make a deal. Mets say yes. And Steve Cohen then comes out and says, 
this is the final piece. <laughs> this is what puts us over the top. Yeah. Okay. So this is what he thinks can make them official World Series contenders. They already were, but this is what makes them the number one team in baseball. Yep. But then cold feet ensues. You have one of the best tweets, I think, of the offseason where renowned doctors agree with renowned doctors. Yeah. But then again, Steve Cohen. They have their issues with this. They go back and look at the medicals. And then the twins, they re-engage. And they say, all right, we're going to give Carlos Correa a six-year, $200 million offer. And the Mets, they come in with six years for 157. Now, there's incentives on both sides. The twins deal can go up to $275 million, And the Mets deal can also go to 315 million for that 12 years but there's incentives there is a yearly physical that he has to do and the only guaranteed money that the Mets gave him was 157.5 million the twins gave him 200 million so Correa says I'm betting on myself because there's plenty of incentives with the twins I can get up to 275 million but I'm going to take the extra what 33 million that's Mm -hmm. guaranteed that makes all the sense in the world why it's fishy is not about Carlos Correa why I think it's fishy is, or it feels weird to me, is why didn't Steve Cohen match that offer? And a couple of things went through my head. It's not like they haven't given tons of money before. It's not like money has ever been an object. Steve Cohen is worth $26 billion. George or uh, Hal Steinbrenner is worth about four or five billion. Like he's so much more, worth more than any other owner in, in Major League Baseball. So he looks at the Carlos Correa deal and he says, instead of matching the twins offer, instead of going five for $230 million, they come up short after giving Edwin Diaz five years for a reliever after giving a 41 year old Justin Verlander $40 million. I just don't understand why they didn't match it because of his comments earlier, because of how big the pockets are. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You know, and and this is, we talked about it a little bit before we recorded, but just to play the other side, play the devil's advocate here, because I I totally hear where you're coming from and and money really, you know, is, is not a thing for Steve Cohen. We've always, everyone talks about that. We've, you know, it's well-documented, but at the same time, you know, they're about to hit that next threshold, the Steve Cohen tax, where if, if they sign Correa, they're probably not adding another superstar after that. I mean, then the team would be hit with like a billion dollar tax at that point. If they went, wanted to go after an Otani or somebody else next year, it would be it would be a, a literal joke. Uh, so I do wonder how much they started to just look at, you know, hey, we have Brett Beatty here, who's a really good third base prospect. We still have Escobar if, if Beatty isn't ready for whatever reason, but I really like Beatty. And on top of that, you know, hey, we can go an attack free agency next year. Yeah. Now Devers is locked up, but there's going to be a lot of really, really good free agents on the market next year. And you're not, you know, attaching yourself to someone who really could taper off in a few years. I think it's very clear that many doctors, as you mentioned my tweet earlier, that many renowned doctors agree with each other, that there are some major red flags here. And I do wonder with with Steve Cohen, if, if it really just became too much risk for him. And I know that that money at the end of the day is, is, you know, a drop in the bucket to him. But you don't get to where you are as Steve Cohen by making, you know, careless investments. And if he thinks it's a careless investment, maybe that was enough for him, Peter. Like maybe that was the first time where money was a thing to Steve Cohen. And he just said, you know what? 
you can have Correa this time, Twins. He means more to you. Uh, we were going to put him at third base anyways. Like, we don't need him that bad. We'll, we'll spend that money elsewhere when the right opportunity comes. We're not going to spend just to spend. That That seems like a feasible alternative to me, too. I totally get that. And I thought that too. You know, Machado is a free agent next year. They can go get a third An baseman. Actual third baseman. They feel that third baseman is the key. But they made him an offer. Yeah. They gave him six for 157 with these incentives to get up to 315. And then if I'm Steve Cohen and money doesn't matter to me, because like that 157.5 to $200 million, that money doesn't really matter. If you're at zero versus 200, if you don't make an offer, then I understand. But you made the offer. And then if I'm Steve Cohen and I say, well, yes, my doctors, I understand what you're saying. It is definitely a risk. But their doctors who signed Carlos Correa initially, the twins doctors said it's okay to give him $200 million over six years, guaranteed. I'm Steve Cohen. We're already willing to do 157. If the team that had him previously is willing to go to 200, what's stopping me from just matching it and having Correa make the decision? So this is where I'm at. I'm so confused. (laughs) So I think the only reason why the Mets made this offer was – because they had a lot of protection within it. And there was a report that came out that basically the Mets proposed deal. And this is when, you know, they kept saying like there's language that Boris and Correa don't like from the Mets and that's where they're apart. I believe that one of the things in that language or like one of the aspects of it was that the deal that the Mets proposed would allow the team to void the contract at any year if he failed a physical by their doctor standards. Yes. So yeah. from that lens, that that is basically a team option every year. Like it, it's so messy at that point, and I wonder, you know, for the Mets, that was the only way they were going to offer that much, right? Is if they have their asses covered every single year. Whereas the Twins, those options vest, right? So like, if he has going into twenty twenty four. Uh, or excuse me, going into 2029, which is the first option out of this contract, if he has 575 plate appearances, option vests automatically. Doesn't even matter about the physical, I'm pretty sure. Then 2030, it's even less plate appearances. It's 550, and it goes down from there about a handful of plate appearances each year. So that gives Correa a little bit more protection. Hey, if I'm on the field, I'm going to be able to guarantee myself that money. And it's not going to be left up in some gray area to a doctor who could be working against me here and and really just decide that, hey, I'm not fit to play. And it kind of fits what we've been saying about Correa, which was last last year. He looked great. Yet doctors are saying, eh, I don't know if he's good to go. And the year before and 2020. Exactly. So if he's on the field, option vests, no matter how bad the physical looks, if he has 550 plate appearances, this guy plays the next year at $25 million. And that option is, is vesting automatically. And it's not up to some gray area doctor uh, to decide whether he is able to play at a high level or not. Uh, so ultimately I think the twins, you know, kind of gambled a bit more, but on the flip side, you know, I think it's surprising to me to kind of circle back and, and tie a bow onto your point. It's surprising to me that the twins are more willing to take a chance here than the Mets. You talk about the financial side that would make the Mets more willing to roll the dice, but guess what? 
The Twins are way more desperate team-wise, and I think that's what ended up putting them over the top. They need Correa way more, and I think they're willing to take this risk uh, to to see if if you know he's going to be able to hold up long enough. They got their best player back, and, and that, it's that simple for them. I think you make a lot of really good points, and it's making me you know reconsider my position. I just didn't really have a position. I was just more it's perplexed and confused why the Mets. If six for 200 was the was the tip of the iceberg and six for 157 was the most that the Mets could do, like what was stopping them from potentially doing five for 250? But the more you break down the deal, that six year deal for 157 doesn't really seem like a six year deal for 157, right? No, they get out whenever they wanted. That's, I think, where where I where I lost confusion there because what I was looking at the deal six for 157 six versus 200 they're not created equal no I know the money isn't even equal but they're not created equal in terms of the clauses so if Correa fails that first physical or let's say he has 400 plate appearances and goes down with a hamstring injury then the Mets can say, yeah, we don't want you anymore. And yep. then he's back on the market again. Yep. So I wasn't considering Correa's decision. I totally understood Correa's decision, more guaranteed money. Yeah. I saw Mets fans being like, well, why wouldn't Correa bet on himself? That's so dumb. Like, he just did it, bro. He just to. did he just, it. He just did it. Like, of yeah. course, he's not going to do that again. It's way more money guaranteed. And while the the Twins won't compete to the level that the Mets are, you never know. And I'm going to play shortstop. That. He gets to play shortstop. shortstop. Yeah, Yeah. that was just, I saw that on Mets Twitter. And that was the one where I was like, that's dumb. But where I thought to myself, but when you break it down on a per year basis, it wasn't really a six year, $157 million deal. That's the point. Yeah, it was almost like a team option every single year, which is, which is not fair to Correa at that point. You know, you got to find that balance. And I think the twins, I think this skews in favor of Correa. It does. But I think the Twins found that balance here. And you just put out a really good article on JustBaseball.com. I had the privilege of editing, which is your Mm -hmm. over-under win totals for the year and kind of just your leans on each team. And we we had to we had to put a a hold on it for a minute because as you were writing it, we had Correa sign with the Twins. So I know what you said in that article again because I edited it, but – how much does this change the twins for you now? Because obviously they really needed that, that another glue guy, another star in this lineup. I, how much better do you feel about the twins? I feel like I'm usually the the bullish guy on them to a fault last year. You were, you were right with, with how harsh you were on them. And uh, we'll, we'll never forget that Jack two years ago, picked them to make the playoffs and they were the worst team ever. Uh, but you know, where do you stand now? With, with no, no, he had them making the World Series. Oh, he had them making the World Series. That's what <laughs> I think it was. so. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So yeah, my my outlook on the Twins is is more optimistic than it has in previous years, and it's really on the backs of starting pitching. Like when I do these over under win totals, um, I really look at teams who because Phillies and Padres, for example. I took their under on their regular season win total. And it's not because I don't believe that they can't make the playoffs or I don't believe that they can make a deep playoff run. It's just over 162 
on a game by game basis, do you have starting pitchers that I trust that can win you ball games? Because when I gamble on an individual game, the starting pitcher is as the most important position yeah. of how you're supposed to handicap a game. Yeah. And that's why I highly recommend downloading prize picks in the episode description. If you use code just baseball or code just gridiron, you get a full 100 percent deposit match and while i'm just starting to do over under win totals for the teams prize picks doesn't have that but what they do have is season long player props so i'm going to be writing articles on that and deploying them on prize picks so if you want some free money to play with you deposit 10 you get 10 you deposit 50 you get 50 you deposit 100 you get 100 and you can play around because i will be deploying plenty on prize picks but of course not gambling advice but back to the twins twins conversation I'm excited about their rotation this year, and I haven't been excited about the rotation in a long time. Yeah. So while they've had great offensive players, it's a lot of the three true outcome guys. They lead the league in home runs, but they lead the league in strikeouts. And that's probably going to happen again. You know, they won 78 games with Carlos Correa, but now they get Kenta Maeda back. Mm-hmm. You know, you get Tyler Malley for a full season, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, zero twins players, pitchers, through 150 innings last year. Joe Ryan was close, but a lot of these guys were banged up. If they can give you a lot more consistency, if they can throw more innings, I like the Twins. Now, do I think the Twins make the playoffs? No. At 77 and a half, that line is too low, even without Carlos Correa, because I believe in the pitching. Now, it's not a confident bet because it's all about health. Like the team like the Rays, they have this great starting pitching, but prone to injury. Glass now. Rasmussen, Springs. These guys haven't been healthy their entire careers. We also don't know about McClanahan, but we know that they have studs in the, in the pipeline. We know that they have other guys that they can plug in. The Twins don't. That's why it's an interesting conversation when we're talking about an over-under win total. No, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the, the 162 game season is basically, as you were saying, like a war of attrition, right? Because when you're taking over-under win totals, you got to be looking at, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? If a couple guys go down, does this bet still have a chance or am I riding this this over bet on the fact that Joe Ryan has to be healthy all year? And, and you know, most likely for the Twins to succeed, Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray and Tyler Miley have to be healthy. But as you mentioned, Kenta Maeda back, Bailey Ober being back like, yeah, he's not the most exciting player in the world, but that's a guy that's going to give you quality starts. And it's again, nice. in a 162 game season, you'd be shocked at how many teams, especially teams that are, are expected to win around 77 to 80 games, start a bunch of random dudes for a handful of games each year. And those are you know almost scheduled losses, as I like to call them. So you now have a way of kind of hedging those scheduled losses with the twins here. And then you mentioned the three true outcome guys, and they they have a lot of those and they added another one in Joey Gallo, but that's why I'm so happy to see Carlos Correa back because he's not a three true outcome guy. He doesn't strike out much. He puts the ball in play. He's a, just a good hitter. And even if he's not going to hit you 30 home runs, even if he's closer to 20 to 25, they just needed a guy that's a consistent 275, 350, 460 hitter, which Correa pretty much has been for most of his career. And that's just what I think is so huge for them. With Arias and Correa now at the top, that gives them so much more balance. I'm really interested to see what kind of leap Miranda makes and and some of these other guys. But it's really about health, like you said. If they can get 100-plus games out of Buxton, 
This team can make some noise, but I, I loved your pick of the over. It was 77 and a half. Is that what it was? 77 and a half. You assume yeah. that line is going to move, but at that price. And, you know, I checked the Caesar sports book because that's the only book that lines are available. It was still at 77 and a half and I'm still considering it. I do find it interesting. Like, for example, just going back to um, variance and starting pitching and why that's so important. Like your game 114. And are you more confident in Bailey Ober against the Royals or signing of Vince Velasquez or a Chi-Chi Gonzalez, like guys like that, the journeyman types? No disrespect to them, but having that starting pitching depth could get you a win or a loss, which is really important. But you'd expect the Twins to beat the Royals. But a lot of these things happen in, in the uh, in the regular season. For example, the Cardinals was the most interesting line. They were at 89 and a half after being a 92-93 win team last year. Why? Look at the starting pitching. Wainwright, Michaelis, 35, 42 years old for Wainwright. They both have birthdays in August. Then you have Jordan Montgomery, who is solid, but then Flaherty and Matts. Like, I can't rely on that. That's why I'm leading towards the under, even though the Cardinals seem like easily one of the best teams in baseball. They can be a 90-win team, but over a 162-game schedule, that starting pitching matters so much. Playoffs? Not as much. You need three dogs. Yep. And the Cardinals, once they get in the playoffs, they can do it. Yep. But it's those fourth and fifth starters. And the Twins have that this year, which they haven't in previous years. Dylan Bundy goes from their second best pitcher to like not on the team anymore. Yeah. That's how it is now with the Twins. So I'm excited for them. Are they better yep. than the Guardians? No. But the White Sox, they have their problems too. It's funny. You talk about the White Sox. Like I was going to say, basically, the the rule of thumb is, is there a scenario where Dallas Keuchel has to start a game for you? And if that is a scenario, then then I'm probably not betting on your overwind total. And Dallas Keuchel started for the White Sox. He started for the Diamondbacks and he started for the Rangers last year. And I believe those are all teams that underachieved when it comes to their projections last season, except for maybe the D-backs might have topped it. But other than that, you know, that those were all teams that did not meet their expectations. So, I'm way more excited about the twins. Um, I, I think they're going to need some young guys to perform and that's where it's going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm very eager to see what they get out of Royce Lewis, because that's somebody that I, you just got to root for. You got to pull for at this point. And that poor guy torn his ACL twice. He's had so many different issues and injuries, but it was really showing us what he's capable of. If he can come back at some point in the, in the first half of the season and even just fill in and center field shortstop, whatever, uh, that's going to be a nice boost for them as well. And they made some other quiet additions also, but I'm excited. It just makes the, it makes the league more balanced. Like I'm not a big fan of, of seeing certain teams just load all the way up. It's, it's fun to see, you know, teams, be really good, but the, the Correa to the Mets was kind of where I drew the line. And I'm just like, eh, I, I'd rather him go somewhere else. So I'm happy with this one. The only reason selfishly I wanted Correa on the Mets, we live in New York, going to City Field, going to yeah. Yankee Stadium, being able yeah. to see that laser show, yeah. that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. But I am very happy that he is on the Twins. And for a couple of reasons, everything that you said, but also they needed a shortstop. Like they don't want to put Jorge Polanco at short. He's their second Kyle baseman. Farmer. Yeah, exactly. Like that, I hope, was not the poll. It was going to be the plan if they didn't get Carlos Correa. But not only is Correa a great signing, it's in a position of need for the Twins. Now you look up the middle defense with Polanco, then Correa, and Buxton and Setter if he can stay healthy. That's incredibly important in this day and age, especially with the shift getting banned. Let's talk about another shortstop who is 
now injured, unfortunately, for the Boston Red Sox. Trevor Story underwent, what, a form of Tommy John surgery? Yeah, surgery it was basically his- Tommy John surgery, I guess. I don't know why. I don't know what exactly. What, uh, Tommy John adjacent surgery. I don't know. Yeah, UCL something. He's going to be out four to six months. And when I was writing the article, the over-under win, over, win total article, I took the Red Sox's under. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just don't believe they won 78 games last year. Did they get better? I don't think so. And then you lose Trevor Story. So the big question is, what are they going to do? We can go through the options of a free agency. We can talk about some potential trade partners. But right now, Trevor Story will not be in the Red Sox lineup starting now four to six months. We don't know when he'll be back. But Heim Bloom came out and said, we can't bank on him coming back. We're assuming, I guess, to take a guess before the all-star break, he comes back. But how it, healthy it was, is his arm? We now, saw Harper. Yeah. Like, he had to DH. How is he going to DH? Is he going to only be able to play second? The Red Sox don't have a shortstop arm. And, well, that's the craziest part. It's even before all this, it was like, yo, you're thinking about Trevor Story It's short? Because we knew he had some arm issues. It was it was very clear uh, that his arm w- was affecting him. And, and it, it seemed like it was kind of a stretch to even consider him at shortstop before he went down now with, with this surgery. And I think he tried to, you know, rest it, get it right. And, and it tried to throw again now, and it just wasn't right. So ultimately gets a surgery, but you know, that, that time in between now cuts into his season here. And I think they're lucky to get him back it, it, by, by the all-star break. And I think, as you said, Heim Bloom said they can't even really plan for him. You know, they can't assume that he's going to be back this season. It, it would be malpractice to to plan for him to be there and not set up some sort of alternative plan. What's interesting is you know, now they're going to what? Play Kike Hernandez there, who's played less than 20 games. They can't do that. They he's played less than 20 that. games there over the last couple of years. And he has not his own injury that. issues. Not only that, they cannot do that because what you're doing is you're moving off of a gold glove caliber center fielder to put him at short. So not only are you risking shortstop defense, you then leave center field defense open, which is as important as the shortstop defense because you're the captain of the outfield. So you're lessening two positions instead of just getting a shortstop. I've heard that being floated. Kike to short. You cannot let that happen. You can't. Yeah. And then now you look at the middle infield situation and what is it going to be? Christian Arroyo and, and who is it going to be? Marcelo Meyer. <laughs> just call him up. Just send him call up there him and up. Let, him, let him struggle. They DFA Jeter Downs who, you know, they could probably use now. I know he was a disaster last year, but man, at least it's somebody that's been there and, and they could use now. Well, he's on the nationals and you look at the outfield situation. If they do move Kike there, well, it's going to be Jaron Duran. He was a disaster in the outfield and at the plate last season. Even got booed by the Red Sox fans for the the way he was playing the game. Christian Arroyo can hold down second base. Probably can't play shortstop. They have to make a trade. I think that's really what it boils down to, right, Peter? And we've we've seen reports of them, you know, calling the Marlins on Joey Wendell, Miguel Rojas. We, there was just a report today uh, as we're recording this that they were maybe interested in Alberto Mondesi, which is also comical because. That guy can't stay healthy either. So you're going to get him. And you know what happens when he goes down? Now the season started and teams probably aren't going to part with their middle infielders. Maybe they could go get, you know, Elvis Andrews. And I think ultimately that's probably what I do. Uh, unless it's part of a larger deal with the Marlins, because that's the interesting thing is it ties in with, with the pitching conversations that the Marlins and the Red Sox have reportedly had. You could throw in a Joey Wendell or Miguel Rojas that helps them. But if I'm if I'm the the Red Sox, I'm not giving up any assets 
for a, a rental at shortstop, I would just go get Elvis Andrews. I mean, he was very fine last year. He was a three and a half win player. Yeah, but that's too easy. And we're a podcast. This is supposed to be good radio. So, yes, they could sign Elvis Andrews to a one-tier deal, makes them better, and it solves that problem. Good. Great. End of podcast. Nope. Let's continue. You are a Marlins fan, and you cannot tell me that you're down there in Florida right now cooking up mocks. That includes a Miguel Rojas and a Pablo Lopez over to the Red Sox. So let's start there. Heimblum, Kim Mang, they get on the phone, and Heimblum says, Kim, we'd like to get Miguel Rojas and Pablo Lopez. I'm Heim, you're Kim Mang. Who do you want in return? So obviously, the reports were that the Marlins tried on Casas. Not happening. Um, Pablo, so can you, can you explain that? Like, why that's not happening? Because I don't think people understand what the potential reckoning of a Tristan Casas could do to a lineup. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, well, first of all, first round pick who has just been kind of celebrated before Marcelo Meyer is like that, that next like big franchise piece, right? And uh, his mash through the minors, it just has that face of the franchise moxie. And and when it comes to his his bat, I mean, we're talking 30 home run power, high on base percentage, uh, pretty good bat to ball skills for the kind of power that he has. And he can play a pretty good first base. This is a guy that's big league ready now that you're expecting to be in the middle of your order for a long time. So to me, if you're if you're trading him for, you know, a pitcher when your lineup's already kind of meh, you're just taking one step forward, one step back. Doesn't make sense to me. Um so that's that's a guy that's that's not going anywhere. Uh, it seems like the Red Sox might be more willing to to part with Sedan Rafaela, who's on the just baseball top 100 list towards you know the 70 80 range. Phenomenal center fielder that the Marlins could really use. But the Marlins are in this fantasy land. I was talking about this with with Jack, where they want to upgrade their team for 2023. Uh, so they're going to pass maybe on somebody like Rafaela and try to get somebody that's going to help them next year. I think that's dumb. And personally, I, I could see the Marlins circling back here meeting up with the Red Sox and saying, give me Sedan Rafael and a couple other pieces and we'll package, you know, somebody like Pablo Lopez and a Rojas or Wendell. And it just seems like a no brainer to me there. I think that's got to be the the easiest deal to make for the Red Sox. You you, you help your pitching, you get that stop gap at shortstop. And ultimately I'm sure, I'm sure the Red Sox want control because that's the one thing Heimblum said, like we want five, four or five years of control, which would be Edward Cabrera, which would be Trevor Rogers. But I don't think the Marlins are trading one of those guys for a Sedan Rafaela. It's got to be Casas. So you're kind of have a game of chicken here between Kim Ang and Heimblum. And Sedan Rafaela, you like him a lot as a prospect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, where would you rank him? Like, uh, kind of give me a tier, maybe a well-known prospect that you think he's kind of similar in for our fans who maybe aren't as in, in depth at the prospect world. Yeah, so he's like in the 70 to 80 range. So I would say in our top 100 list, that that's he's that's a good question. I would say like he's right on the cusp of being one of the, like the better outfield prospects in baseball, but just hasn't quite done it enough yet. So I would say like tier two, if tier one is all of those, like almost untouchable guys, he's like middle tier two, uh, which is why the Red Sox are kind of dangling him. Yeah. So he's good, but he's not untouchable, but he's he's a guy that if the Marlins got him, they'd be very excited in a couple of years. And at the same time, the Red Sox, they can trade from that in order to get that shortstop and to get that pitcher who they desperately need because we're talking about how shortstop is the problem. But again, that's why I'm looking at the Red Sox 
under team total. You move Garrett Whitlock into the rotation. Love him as a pitcher. I think he's a good starter, but you then remove him from the bullpen. Chris Sale, how many innings are we going to get? We have no idea. Nick Pavetta just wasn't really that good. Josh Winkowski, Cutter Crawford. Like these are just not guys that I'm confident in. And a guy like Michael Walker gave them great innings last yeah. year. Like even Rich Hill gave them good innings. And now they are without those two. I just said Rich Hill gave them great innings. That was an over-exaggeration. But he th- threw the baseball better than those below replacement level pitchers that you're yeah. just going to scoop up off waivers. So I personally think that the Red Sox are in trouble this season. I have them finishing in last place. Now it's not over. They can do a lot of things to make them better. That's why these are early looks. I haven't bet anything yet. If the Red Sox come out and grab a big time starting pitcher in a trade or then make a big trade for a shortstop or even get Elvis Andrews, I could have a different tone. The offseason is not over. But yeah. as we're sitting here today on January 12th, I am worried about the Red Sox and I have them finishing in last place. Is that fair? I, I I'm I'm in on them on the last place. I really, I really think so. I, while I'm disappointed that the Orioles haven't addressed the starting pitching situation and it's funny. I, I do wonder if if the Orioles might maybe trying to uh, get involved here because if if the Red Sox do pony up and say, "Hey, you know," and I'm not saying it has to be Casas, it could be a, a larger deal here, but they they are able to pry one of Trevor Rogers or Edward Cabrera away, which I think they should be targeting because ultimately, I don't think they're competing next year regardless, and you should be trying to get three, four years of control of a starting pitcher, not two, with Pablo unless they think that they can extend him. I wonder if if the Orioles will you know try to outbid them because do you want the Red Sox to to go to the Marlins and and go get one of those arms that you could have and and I don't get why the Orioles haven't done it yet but regardless as these teams stand now uh, if if the Red Sox have to roll Emmanuel Valdez out there who they got for Christian or, or sorry Christian Vasquez at the deadline from the Astros I like Valdez but that's a guy that's not really quite big league ready and they might have to roll him out there like. There is like experimenting happening at this point. If they don't make some moves, I expect them to do something, but I don't expect it to be great. And if they get a Miguel Rojas or if they get a a Kyle Farmer type, you know, Alberto Mondesi, is that changing your prediction? No way. Right. No way. Alberto Mondesi, when he's on the field, can be electric. If he plays 162 games, he could steal 100 bases. Yes. He has power. He has pop. But Red Sox fans. Go look at the games played. Yeah. It's not there. And it's been, it's, it's Byron Buxton squared. Yeah. It's everything you think about an injury prone player. That is Aldeberto Mondesi. Is that the stopgap guy? It can't be. It can't be. If you are a team where, for example, like the Yankees in a way, adding an Aldeberto Mondesi would somewhat make sense, even though they have all these prospects and they have IKF, but they have so many different options. So if you get a Montessi and he blows up, he could play third. That would make sense. The Red Sox, when they need a guy who could play 150 games, there's your issue. That's why that never really made sense to me. And they'd have to trade him. He's not available. It's not like, oh, like if they just could sign Montessi. Yeah. Sure. Okay, you don't maybe you don't give them that much money and you try, but you have to give up pieces for him. Yep. And the Royals are going to see the talent on the field when he plays and probably want a decent prospect. And you may not get what you think you're getting 
based off the 60 game sample that he gives us every year. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they're not going to just trade him just to trade him. Right. So they might as well just roll him out there next year and see what can happen and and then maybe trade him later. So that's the thing. If you're the Red Sox, I would be going for for Andrews or trying to make a, a lesser deal happen. But again, you have to be honest with yourself. And that's the big thing with the Red Sox is I feel like they haven't been honest with themselves at all this offseason as to who they are, what they can be. And that's why I wouldn't be surprised if they go and make a trade, because I really think that that they live in this alternate universe where they think a lineup of Yoshida, Kike Hernandez, Rafael Devers, Justin Turner, Alex Verdugo, Tristan Casas, Christian Arroyo, Reese McGuire, and Jaron Duran, which is how Roster Resource has it right now, can compete in the American League East. It can't. It can't. And that's not even going to the bullpen and the rotation, though they did improve the, the bullpen a little bit. Um, if I were them, I think this story situation is enough for me to say, hey, we'll pick up a guy, you know, like an Andrews and and give it our best shot. But we're not going to trade any assets and, and impact our future for next season unless it makes sense. And it's a control for control swap. I don't I don't see why why the, the Red Sox should should really pretend like they have a shot next year, especially now that story is heard. It just doesn't make sense to me. Another ALEs team that got a little bit better. By adding Brandon Belt on a one-year deal worth about nine nine point three million dollars, at first I thought, well, are they just going to platoon him with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I still like the deal, but then I realized they need a DH. Is Danny Jansen going to be the full-time DH? No, you need him to catch because Alejandro Kirk is not going to catch 162 games. Of course not. No catcher does. So you need Danny Jansen there. He's probably the best backup catcher in all of baseball. Oh, yeah. So you needed a DH. And Danny Jansen, they could do a platoon. Danny Jansen against lefties, Brandon Belt against righties. And Brandon Belt, another guy who hasn't been able to stay on the field all that often, but relieving him from playing the field, all you got to do is come to the ballpark and hit. And this guy can hit. He, I mean, 2021, 160 WRC plus, that's 60% better than league average. He was a monster it's just about staying on the field. So I commented, steal. Do you think it's a steal? I thought it was a great move for the Jays. I absolutely think it was a steal. Yes, of course, he struggles to stay healthy. Uh, and that's been the issue. But when he's been on the field, it's not like his, his game has been diminished. If anything, it's it's been as good as ever. Well, his 2021 season, where he only played 97 games, he set his career high in homers. He had 29. So we're talking about a guy that, if you can keep him on the field, I think he could be really good. He tried to play through an injury last year, and that's where we saw the game diminished a little bit. But I, I just don't think you go from career high in homers to, you know, the year after that, just totally losing it. I think he tried to play through an injury and it wasn't there for him. And he, he ultimately missed the, the season. But I think he can bounce back. I think it's very clear that this guy can't be in the field that much. And it's very clear that trying to play him every day is probably not going to not going to go well for for his body at this stage of his career but i also think it's clear that he found something right he was unbelievable in the 2020 season he was unbelievable before going getting hurt in 2021 and then played hurt in 2022 so putting him in the right role keeping him healthy is the, the blue jays wanted a lefty bat right we've been hearing about that we've talked about it on the podcast when are they going to get their lefty bat now they got 3 of them now kevin kiermaier is you know more about the glove but he is a guy who hits from the left side then you get a dalton varsho who's a great lefty batter a very good one and then you get brandon belt who i think if you use him properly is a phenomenal you know phenomenal lefty bat to add to the fold here and the way i look at it peter is would you rather have kevin biggio or 
Brandon Belt. Because I feel like Brandon Belt is going to be taking those Kevin Biggio at-bats this year and probably doing more with them. Yeah, and then you have Santiago Espinal being your utility guy. Mm-hmm. So while the Blue Jays are getting better, not just on the field, but I think in the clubhouse, right? The Blue Jays, I feel like their issue has been they aren't really – they aren't sure how to get to that next They're young. Level. They're young. They're young. They have all this talent. They have George Springer, who is that, you know, he's a World Series champion, but that's it. You go through the rest of their roster, nobody's won anything. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just, it's a young nucleus. You even have Manoa at the top of the rotation, Gosman. You know, he's never won anything. Brios, these guys have never won anything. Like even a Chris Bassett now hasn't won anything. But adding a guy who's been there, done that, adding another one to the fold in the clubhouse. I think is also worth the money. Like even if Brandon Belt's injured and maybe he's just sitting in the clubhouse, like giving guys tips, the tutelage to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like all of these little things all around made it a steal for me. I thought he could get a two-year deal worth 20, 25 yeah. million dollars. I wouldn't have been surprised if that came across the ticker on MLB Network or on Twitter, but instead one year at nine to the Blue Jays, all around great deal. I'm a big fan of it. Now I ask you, you know, this Blue Jays team's good. And we're, we're going to get more into the predictions for the season and everything like that as we get closer. But, you know, the Blue Jays, I feel like, answered a lot of the questions that we had, right? I mean, can they can they round out that rotation a bit more? Look, it's not perfect, but it's definitely better. Uh, can they get those lefty bats and, and and really figure out how to balance out the lineup a bit more? They did that, too. Yankees are going to be the team to beat. We know that. That's the team to beat in the AL East. But did, did the Blue Jays do enough for you to be looking behind your back as a Yankee fan? Oh, always. I'm always looking behind my back. Yeah. I mean, a the little, Rays. A like, little bit I extra now with, with the Blue yeah. Jays. Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking behind as a Yankee fan. Like those, I mean, the Rays and the Blue Jays are as good a teams as any teams in the American League. Like the Rays now went healthy with McClenahan. Glass now, Rasmussen, Springs, that lineup with Wander healthy. And just to your point about the Blue Jays rotation getting better, that's the only where, way I disagree. And I was writing that in my in my article because, yes, they add Chris Bassett. But Chris Bassett might be a better pitcher than Ross Stripling. But will he replicate a 3.04 ERA in 131 innings? Like these questions, people tend to forget about those. It's like Chris Bassett is better than Ross Stripling. But they won... 90 what 293 games with Ross Stripling pitching very well like those innings don't disappear at the same time what are we gonna get from Brios what are we gonna get from Kikuchi we expect them to be better but we can't guarantee it so did the Blue Jays get better enough to be over 94 and a half wins I had them at 94 wins so I took the under because I picked every single team I couldn't just pass so for that one I'm not gonna bet on the under but I didn't think that they got so much better that they are a 97-win team where I think the Yankees are going to be around. Yeah. So I still have the Yankees finishing first, but if the Rays are fully healthy, I still think that the Rays will have a better team than the Blue Jays will. I really do. Uh, and that's why the American League is going to be so It's fun. so good. It's that's so why fun. when you ask, you know, am I looking behind my back? Oh, I was, I've been looking behind my back. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees finished third. Like, I wouldn't like it, and I would be moderately shocked but I wouldn't be over the moon if it went Blue Jays, Rays, Yankees, and the Yankees won 91 games, the Rays won 92, and the Blue Jays won 95. 
I would be shocked. I think I think they're all going to be right around there, man. And um, I'm interested to see if they hold on to Kevin Biggio because I, you know, we're talking about how Red Sox fills that role in a little bit. Yeah, but I wonder if they could flip Biggio for a reliever, do something like that. I, I do like that the bullpen has been addressed a little bit. You know, the Eric Swanson addition was nice. Uh, the, the bullpen as a whole is a little bit better. But yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think the Rays could could end up being better than the Jays. So it's going to be really fun to see this this three team race here. Um, one other signing that I thought was really, or two other signings. We have a couple Before, more. Breaking news: the Dodgers have traded for Miguel Rojas from the Miami Marlins. I'm trying to find the prospect <laughs> right now, but Miguel Rojas is heading to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Funny wow. enough, where. So, so- well, I'm trying to find. I think it's for Jacob Amaya. Holy crap. Jacob Amaya. What are your thoughts? So, Initial thoughts. Great job by the Marlins. Um, this is so funny. So, well, so knock Rojas off. If the if the Red Sox need a shortstop now from the Marlins, it's 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 gonna have to be Wendell. And I doubt that the Marlins move Wendell. So now even more so, they've got to kind of adjust what they're looking for here. Initial thoughts on this, you know, Amaya's an older prospect, 20, 24 years old, but bat to ball guy and it's just that's what the marlins have been seeking middle infielder they need guys like that just hire four prospects amaya's pretty darn good uh given you know what what they're giving up here with miguel rojas what's really interesting is is rojas came up with the dodgers and ultimately you know they didn't really think much of him and and he was kind of an overlooked guy and and got an opportunity with the marlins i'm very interested in one thing though on on that show that he hosts, the Chris Rose rotation he, that he, he has with Chris Rose, he mentioned some like underlying beef he had with with Clayton Kershaw. And when he homered off of him, he stayed in the box until it landed. And he said he can't talk about why he has that beef. Now I'm really interested to see how that works, uh, because now they're going to be sharing a clubhouse. Um, I will say it's been an interesting kind of character arc with Miguel Rojas going from like that kind of almost Mr. Marlon Jr. Everybody loved him. Like that's, that's the, the, the guy that's really all about the fish to a guy that I'll call a spade a spade here. The Marlins needed, wanted to get out of there. Like he wasn't good for the clubhouse. They, they thought he was actually hurting clubhouse chemistry, pretty wild to see that arc. And um, I'm also just wondering why the hell you know, just process this part of it. Why did the Dodgers even want him? Well, they need a shortstop. I mean, Gavin Lux is their plan right now, but he's more of a second baseman. Like he hasn't proved that he can play shortstop. Now you can allow Chris Taylor to move around. So I think their plan is it might be Rojas at short and Lux at second opening. It's got to be because that's the one thing Rojas gives you is a great glove. And for those that are listening that don't know much on Rojas, look, he's not going to hit. Dodgers don't need him to hit. He is a phenomenal defender. I don't know how he's such a good defender because he's not like a freak athlete, but my goodness, he's a vacuum. He's got a great arm. He moves well. Uh, He was one of the best defensive shortstops last year, the year before that, and the year before that. Like he is really good. So the Dodgers get really good defense now in a season where, you know, we're going to see, I think we've talked about it, the the shift limitations may be a bit overstated, but it still puts a lot more importance on your defense up the middle. And, you know, now they get a really, really good glove, one of the better defensive shortstops in baseball. So I I get it, I guess, from that perspective, take some pressure off of Lux and let him just keep hitting. Now, don't make him worry about playing shortstop for one of the best teams in baseball. Let him keep doing what he's doing. And now Rojas can go play shortstop for them. But I think good move for the Marlins to go get Amaya. I, I do like that. Yeah. Quick synopsis on Amaya. What do you like about him? Bat to ball. <laughs> 
the Marlins have too many guys that whiff. Um, so I just like them having a middle infielder that, that, you know, puts bat on ball pretty well already reached triple a last season. So pretty close to the big leagues. Um, you know, I think could hit for a little bit of power. So they just need guys that can make an impact <laughs> who they can't mess up hit wise, because we know that the Marlins can't develop hitters. And I, I think this is a guy that's pretty developed offensively. So he's never going to be a superstar, but they just need guys. And I think this is somebody that, that could be a big league regular. And they didn't trade a superstar. They traded Miguel no. Rojas at the end. Who of they day. wanted out. And, yeah. and hopefully, like, could this guy be a younger Miguel Rojas? So you just got more years of control for a different version. Exactly. Of exactly. Exactly. So I'm in. Marlins made one more move, signing Johnny Cueto to a one-year deal which I thought was very telling, less about, oh, the Marlins got Johnny Cueto and more, well, they already had a bunch of starting pitchers, so could a trade be on the horizon? What was your first reaction? That, exactly, right? Um, I'm imagining you're calling Johnny Cueto, hey, Marlins here, we want you to come you know, pitch for us. Well, he's going to say, okay, well, how much am I going to pitch, right? I imagine, I've no, and this is no intel, obviously, this is just, I'm imagining, they had to tell him, like, hey, we're going to move some arms. I, I can assure you, you're, you're going to get some more, some more run than you think. Also, if you're the Marlins, you're not signing a guy for $8.5 million, especially the Marlins. If he's not throwing 150 innings for you, right? Like health, health is the only thing here. I think the plan is that's your five starter and he's eating innings, right? Like that is the plan. Otherwise that's a lot of money for the Marlins. Like that, that to me was very telling because that tells me he's got one of the five spots in the rotation and somebody's headed out of town. I definitely expect that. And now I think it really kind of heats up uh, the, the the starting pitching trade market, which is why we've talked more about the Marlins in the last two episodes. And I think we did in the last two months, which is really fun for me. But, you know, I, I think, like you said, it kind of puts the writing on the wall because right now you got Sandy, you got Edward Cabrera, you got Trevor Rogers, you got Jesus Lazardo, you got Pablo Lopez, you've got Braxton Garrett, who looked good last year. Like I you have him. so many arms in the fold here that they've got to move somebody. Even if it's a Braxton Garrett, like it might not be the sexy move that everybody's no. waiting for, but they need to move an arm. They have seven starting pitchers right now, and it's always good to have depth, but when you have no semblance of an offense, like yeah. Sandy Alcantara won this Cy Young unanimously and they won 68 games like you need an offense they were third to last and run scored in Major League Baseball third to last like you have to trade from that level because also they still have the ghost of Sixto Sanchez they have Jake Eater in the minors I know these guys are banged up but they are they have this Jake Eater will be ready coming up the pipe like it's not like Yuri Perez like they have so many starting pitchers in the minor leagues and in this and in the uh in the rotation right now that they have to trade from that level of strength. I wonder if teams are going to look at them and say you need to trade starters. So you're not going to get the best deal. I don't know. I, I don't know how that's why we work. haven't seen anything yet. And, you know, and also d- don't forget they got Max Meyer coming back next in a year too. So like even if the rotation is a little bit thinner than you hoped, you're going to have him coming back as well. So I, I do think teams are kind of like Eh, you know, we know you need the offense. We're not just going to, you know, give you what you want. We'll, we'll see if somebody else is willing to. And and so far, nobody, nobody's really done it yet. So I wonder if this was the first domino um, and, and see if, if maybe this makes them a little bit more willing to package other prospects uh, 
you know, now that they have a, a pretty solid middle infield guy that I think probably slides right into their top 10, uh, which is which is pretty crazy, but slides right into their top 10 and was probably in the, the 20 range for the Dodgers, which by the way, the Dodgers top prospect list, I can remove him now. Dodgers top prospect list is out now. If When you're listening to this episode, I just finished that. Um, so I will have already edited Jacob Amaya out of the names to watch category, which is where he was for that Dodger system. Which is a loaded system. Oh, last yeah. deal. Nelson Cruz, one year, one million. He's going to coach in the World He's Baseball Classic. He is uh, going to try and hit. And he said that he wanted to take less money in order for a chance to win a World Series. And while I said the Padres and their win total at 93 and a half may not be the best bet to go over, that doesn't mean they're not a dangerous opponent when we get into the playoffs. And that's what the Padres are. They got the three horses at the top. They have an incredibly loaded offense and they have bullpen guys who are locked down. They don't have the depth, but they have in the playoffs, the guys you can ride. So if, do you think that, I don't know, what's the question here with Nelson Cruz? Do you think it was a good idea? Sure. Why not? It's $1 million, (laughs) right? Like screw it. Sure. Right. Like this is one of those where it's kind of nothing to lose. I, I like him as, as a, a vet there though, right? Like he's by all, by all accounts, a great clubhouse guy. This is a team that has a lot of big personalities. We've talked about that. Um, just being a mentor to some of those guys, like a Tatis to some of the other dudes, because Machado has, has become, you know, that vet and that leader in the clubhouse, but he could probably use some help. So I, I like, I like Nelson Cruz there. I also think he's a good hedge to Matt Carpenter. You know, like if Matt Carpenter can't, rediscover or, or or duplicate what he did last year, which was, I think off the top of my head, like a seven fourteen slugging or something like that. Like if he can't duplicate that or even just be, you know, be close to that, which was really absurd to see. But if he, if he can't be that, that power left-handed bat, then you're probably going to need another bench slash DH option. And, and Cruz can, can be that at $1 million. If he's sitting on your bench, who cares? You roll that guy out as a pinch hitter a lot in the ninth inning. You know, he's not blanking at the big moments. And if somebody gets hurt, you know, he can fill in in the DH role. That's the crazy thing is, is he can really only fill in in one spot. Uh, but you know what? You're, you're getting another coach. You're getting another coach. And and at the same time, he wasn't a complete disaster last year. He wasn't good. He was a 651 OPS guy. But if he can just crush lefties and, you know, do a good job in the clubhouse for $1 million. I'm in. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hope he hits some milestones. I, I was looking, he's not too close to anything too, too notable, but 460 homers is a nice round number. He's a 459. Uh, we'll, we'll see if he can, he can add on to any of those totals over 2000 career hits, man. I mean, this guy's had a phenomenal career. I know he tested positive for PEDs who didn't, uh, but this guy had a phenomenal career, man. And uh, I, I'd like to see him go out with, you know, some fun in the postseason. I, I hope we get like, an iconic 49 year old Nelson Cruz postseason home run for the Padres this year. I, I, I would love to see that, but hey, it gets to go out with, with a little bit more of a bang than winning 10 games with the Washington nationals. You never know. We saw Albert Pujols against lefties. Maybe Nelson Cruz can yeah. be that for the San Diego. Padres. Like, would it surprise you? He's Nelson freaking Cruz. No, not at all. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. And I think 475. That home run mark, he's at 459. That's 16 home runs. That's a decent chunk, but would we be surprised? I wouldn't be. So that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Arms rock and the Just Baseball long sleeve. And the part about the Just Baseball long sleeve that is important is on our Twitter right now, we're doing a giveaway where we're giving away a Topps Chrome blaster box. 
I said it right, correct? Yes, you actually did. Very proud. Amazing. The top chrome blaster box with a just baseball athletic long sleeve tee. So go make sure you follow our Twitter. It is in the episode description. Again, don't forget if you want to download prize picks and tail these season long player props with us that we're going to be cooking up this entire off season, talking about on the just baseball show, talking about it on not gambling advice on the TikTok. make sure you download it. It's in the episode description. You just click the link or if you're not clicking the link, just download the prize picks. When it gives you a promo code, use just baseball or code just gridiron. So that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. We'll be back tomorrow where I'm bringing in some hypotheticals that I want to ask Arm and Jack about. Then the next Friday, Arm's going to ask us some questions. We have World Baseball Classic content coming. We have, of course, our top tens at every position coming. Tons of content coming over here at Just Baseball and on JustBaseball.com. With that, thank you, everybody.